it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review to let us know what you thought of the show there. You can also send us feedback on Twitter. I'm at Eric Cohn, and Ann Thompson is at AK Stanwick. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the chief film critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson from Thompson and Hollywood. This time I'm out at Ann's Turf in sunny L.A., which, uh, gotta tell you, it's a lot nicer than New York. It's starting to get a little chilly out there. But, you know, I have other reasons to be out here as well. We're both covering the AFI Fest, which kicked off last night. How did it go for you, Ann? Oh, I always enjoy being in the Dolby Theater where the Oscars take place. And J.C. Chandor, who's the uh, writer-director of A Most Violent Year, in his introduction, he says, I was sitting right over there and lost to Woody Allen. (laughs) Sort of an odd, funny way to start out. I mean, he's an interesting um, filmmaker because he sort of came, not from his point of view, but from ours. He sort of went from zero to 60, you know, with with his first uh, feature film, Margin call and then followed that up with all is lost and now he's got um a, a, a real advance i think on his um uh, directorial um uh if you like i think i think a most violent year just goes to a whole nother level right i mean it was an interesting selection to open afi fest last night because it's such a new york movie i think it would have been interesting to see it at new york film festival but you know it, it seemed to go over pretty well and reasonably so i had to go back and make sure that Margin Call really was just a couple of years ago because it's interesting to see just what a sophisticated, layered filmmaker this guy has become in such a short period of time. He's a know. good writer. That's the bottom the bottom line. I'm looking forward. I'm going to talk to him today. I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about why this material uh, resonated so much for him it, because it's a very sort of, I don't know how to say this exactly, idiosyncratic choice of story and, and subject. And it, it's not like we've seen it before, although it has a lot of, um, I would say there's some comparisons to be made. I haven't read your review yet, Eric, because I'm still working on my story. Um, comparisons to be made to Sidney Lumet, I would say, most most clearly. Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, let's talk about the story. It's basically about a heating oil business and, and Oscar Isaac as this, uh, this guy who runs his company trying to kind of put his best foot forward but stuck in this web of crime where somebody keeps robbing his trucks and uh, tensions keep mounting and there's a lot of sort of hidden agendas sort of swirling around him. But it's a much more contained film than something like Margin Call. At the same time, it's uh, it's more classical, I think, than his other than his other movies. Certainly not as experimental or, or uh, 
you know, uh, distinctive as something like All is Lost. And I think the Lumet comparison makes sense to a point. I was also thinking about Death of a Salesman in terms of the way that it sort of interrogates the American dream. That's a good comparison. I, I agree with that because he's exploring the values of our culture and and what is, you know, who are the haves and the have-nots and, and who, you know, who, you know, whose values can dominate if you're trying to do the right thing. It has a lot to do with that and it's the relationship between him and his wife played by Jessica Chastain. And Oscar Isaac is superb. Absolutely superb. He carries the screen. He's physical. He's authoritative. He has to do this amazing uh, performance throughout and, and you, you root for him. Um, yep. And it's period. It's 1981. It's very well shot. It's a little dark, a little Gordon Willis, but not as good as Gordon Willis. Well, it's Bradford Young, who's who's sort of an emerging star in the cinematography scene. I think uh, you know he, did he also movie, did Selma, right? Selma, which is coming out soon. But a couple of years ago, he did another New York movie called Mother of George, which I thought was just I beautiful. loved that film. So you know, it's, it's really interesting to see this guy started sort of get out there and do bigger projects because I think he's got a real eye for for capturing. Uh, a kind of intimate quality to what it's like to be in an urban environment. And um, it really comes through in the movie. And, you know, the Oscar Isaac performance is, is interesting because you keep trying to figure out, you know, just how sincere this person is. And the movie takes its time to set that up. I think, you know, the the Met comparison and, and just sort of like the kind of old school elements in play here, I think are both a blessing and a curse in some ways. It's It's his less... It's his least uh, original movie in some ways, and I think that makes it harder for some people to be sold on it. Just based by the on way, what that thing you said about all is lost. I mean, and and a margin call being this being less contained. I think of margin call as being very much um, contained inside a very closed physical space where they're all sort of in the boardrooms up there and the the offices in that in that Wall Street uh, complex. And and this this is moving around the city. It's very outdoors. It's very lots of different locations. Very very much the sort of um, uh, urban detritus, you know, the, the sort of nasty ruins. It almost looks like Detroit in some ways, some of these areas uh, yeah. that we don't usually get to see on the other side of the river. I yeah. thought he handled that very well. You know, it's interesting. It's 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 a really strong movie, and it also is, I, I think, less uh, daring in some ways than, than either of the previous two movies. When you talk about Margin Call, almost exclusively set inside an office space over the course of one night, and then, you know, All is Lost being this wordless movie with one character. I mean, this movie takes place over a significant amount of time. You know, the, the environment is one that is very well realized, but also not something we haven't seen before. And so, you know, talking it through with people last night at the party, I really got the sense that what what people were disappointed by was not that it wasn't a good movie, but that, they, you know, it's it's something they've seen before. And so I think... You know, the challenge with, with something like this is, like, when somebody's really talented and they're not doing something new, does that, does that frustrate people just because they want to see something different? You're bringing up a very, very important point, and that is what are expectations being applied and who's applying them? I mean, is this an independent filmmaker who's broadening his scope and, and reaching as a storyteller for a, a richer, broader palette? Is, is, you know, is this, is this an, an, an Oscar contender? Are people asking for that, which is always the risk when you open a movie as an opening night of AFI Fest? at this time of year. These are all the, the freighted issues. Now, A24 is, you know, this is a big movie for them, so there's a great deal at stake, and the first reviews are pretty positive, but does this movie rise to that level? No. It's no. not going to happen. It's, it's just not going to happen. And that, but it, that, that is a terrible thing to be 
you know, it's one thing for me to go after Interstellar and say, Interstellar's a blockbuster, but the critics are going to be tough on it, which it turns out they were, as I predicted, you know, not a, a slam dunk for the Oscars, but that's okay. That movie's huge. It's going to do great. This movie needs help, and hopefully audiences will go see it, whether or not it's an Oscar contender. And there are lots of movies in that category that deserve to be seen, not, you know, even if they don't reach for the, and grab the, 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 the gold ring. Well, you know, I, I think Most Violent Year is a movie that does deserve to get talked about, but it's a, it is a smaller film. And the irony, of course, is that, you know, the the kind of promotional uh, needs that a movie like this, ha- you know, w- would sort of require to get out there, you know, the company doesn't necessarily have the resources to capitalize on that. And even the cast can't fully turn out for it. I mean, there was this story about Jessica Chastain sort of being prohibited from... Uh, on a contractual level from from promoting A Most Violent Year right now because she has to do interstellar duty. I find the level... I'm going to come right out and say this because I don't care what Christopher Nolan thinks of me. I don't care if he's a powerful filmmaker who's calling... There is a level of minuscule control that this man is 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 executing and i've seen other filmmakers do this you know people like michael mann or their various finicky sort of precise control freak filmmakers who want to be in control of every aspect of the release of a movie and what what happened here is that christopher nolan is leaving warner brothers which has been his home you know this was a project that was developed at paramount so he's dealing with an entirely new group of people and he's such a powerful filmmaker that they will cater to him. They will cater to his every whim and every need. I am not kidding. We ran some photos yesterday on the blog that had been in Wired magazine. There was some there was some photo that the people at Paramount were terrified Nolan would find out about and and they asked us to take it down, which of course we did. But but it's like that 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 that, that he would take this little tiny movie and insist that 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 Jessica Chastain not you know, do, you know, take anything away from promoting this enormous blockbuster with all this money behind it. I think it speaks very ill of the people behind it. If it's not Nolan, it's his people on his behalf um, trying to uh, control something that, it, that this, this is ridiculous. And, she, you know, Jessica Chastain was given a dispensation to come to the opening night of uh, a, a most violent year. And I did speak to her, but she wasn't going to be forthcoming on this particular topic. Well, you know, that's sort of the overall challenge of this season anyway, is that, you know, it's like, it's so cluttered with so many different possibilities. I feel like there's an increasing sense of of almost like paranoia on the part of anybody who has a dog in this fight to try to, you know, do whatever possible to stay in the conversation. I will say this. I do believe that Jessica Chastain has a better chance of getting nominated for Interstellar than she does for A Most Violent Year. And what happens in these situations is that the fact that she's done so much good work and is so ubiquitous. She, I was funny. I was talking to her and David Oloyo, however you pronounce that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a subject of great debate. Um, anyway, he, he's a charming, charming man. And he has Selma coming up, which he hasn't seen yet, he told me. Um, the trailer uh, looks great. It does. <laughs> what did you think of it? You know, I usually don't watch those things, but uh, everybody was sort of clamoring for it. And I was really curious about this movie, which, you know, it's like it's such a difficult topic to, to kind of pull together on a dramatic level without seeing somehow, you know, 
uh, overly deferential or, or sort of didactic or something, but man, that's a well put together trailer. I mean, it just sizzles. So, you know, I, I actually, it, it was one of the rare exceptions to my rule of, of not really paying attention to that those kind of materials. It made me really interested in the movie. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. His performance looks quite strong. So I'm looking forward to it, too. He's a very good actor. He's very good also in, in A Most Violent Year. And um, I hope people do check it out. Um, it, it's it's a solid piece of work. If Even if, you know, it, this is the point I'm making about a lot of the films that we haven't seen yet, like Unbroken and, and, and Selma and America, you know, someone like Clint Eastwood, American Sniper, we can say, you know, we're expecting a certain level of, of achievement there. But with with filmmakers who are just starting out, who've only had one or two films under their belt, you know, it's it's a tall order to put them right in the center, no matter how accomplished their previous work. And I like both Angelina Jolie and uh, Ava DuVernay's work uh, so far, but they were small independent films, and now they're jumping up to a whole other level. And to actually make it to the big time and, and deliver, uh, it's a tall order. You know, it's just so fascinating to me because I, I basically, by December 1st, I think I can comfortably put together a top 10 list. And most of these movies that we're talking about, you know, I find it unlikely that they will rank near the top just because those aren't my sensibilities. But at the same time, you know, it's like anything is possible. And the problem with these conversations is that we end up passing judgment because of buzz and marketing ploys and so forth on a lot of stuff based on these sort of superficial ingredients that may or may not have anything to do with the actual quality. So, you know, that's sort of the conundrum that that all these people are falling into. And the problem is that, it, you know, as a result, some, some of the real talented performances, like, say, you know, should Chastain be nominated for this movie or that movie end up, fall, you know, being sort of less relevant. But th- this is also figuring into the best actor race. You wanted to talk about um, the Chadwick Boseman situation. What's interesting there is that you have four lead actors who are locks as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I, it's not just me. I mean, most of the other prognosticators would agree based on the stuff we've seen so far that Michael Keaton and Benedict Cumberbatch and, and Eddie Redmayne and Steve Carell are in the race. Uh, there's still, you know, some films to open and we'll see how Imitation Game and Theory of Everything and, and, uh, you know, we know that Birdman is where it is. And I actually think Michael Keaton may very well be at the, at the front of the pack if the two British biopics knock each other out, but there's a, and then Steve Carell, we'll see how Foxcatcher does, but the the, the critics are going to be all over Foxcatcher. They're going to love it and give him a boost on that. So then you, and then you have, they, Sony Pictures Classics is sort of insisting on promoting Channing Tatum as best actor which I really, I, I can see why they would do that, but I think Steve Carell is just going to be the one who, who gets in there. And then there's a fifth slot. So who's going to get the fifth slot? So Chadwick Bozeman, Bozeman played James Brown in Get On Up, and it's a movie that opened in the summer, got decent reviews, did well, it, 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 with the African-American audience, did not break out. It's a movie that has not been seen by a very large number of people, and they might not have ever seen it if he hadn't suddenly been cast as Black Panther <laughs> in a, an upcoming series of Marvel movies that are bound to be blockbusters. He's going to be part of the Avengers and all this other stuff. Or, or, Years or, from now, we should whatever. mention. I right. mean, it's it's like going to play out for, for yeah. This is so, an abstract so, concept. It's but it's a huge deal, and it puts a big spotlight 
on, you know, the, the, the sort of the first big African-American superhero kind of thing. And he is amazing in Get On Up. And now that it just gives people um, a reason to take it out of the pile, look at it, and then see how good he is. And, and, you know, and then the other, obviously, Jake Gyllenhaal got great reviews, and Nightcrawler opened pretty well. Yeah. And, you know, so we're, we're looking at, you know, can that film be elevated, and can he get in there for that performance? And, and Timothy Spall, Mr. Turner will have yeah. its day. The Academy is bound to like it. You know, can he break in there? So there's a, there's a whole a raft of people sort of vying for for that uh, for that fifth slot. It's a very interesting. I mean, those are all I think strong movies. So you know, just based on what we've seen, it just it, you know any any of those I think would make it for, make an interesting race. Even just once they're nominated, it'll be a very you know. The, there are a certain number of locks, but but that that the concept of that fifth slot I think opens up a much broader conversation about the range of performances in play. Best actress is also an interesting one because you know conversely it seems like just on based on how prognosticators are looking at this category, it's sort of a weak year, and so we got an interesting question via Twitter from at Retman four seventeen who asked if Into the Woods is a bomb and all those actresses are non players, is there any chance? that Tilda Swinton could be in the race for Snowpiercer. So. That's a good question. Um, and that that's a lot of ifs. Here's the thing. Of all the movies that are opening up that we haven't seen yet, and by the way, I am extremely skeptical when it comes to Rob Marshall because the guy has done some really good movies yeah. like Chicago, and he's done some really bad movies like Memoirs of a Geisha. And I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies are sort of in a class unto themselves, you know, run by Jerry Bruckheimer and a huge team of special visual effects experts. You know, right. it's really not what we would consider normal narrative uh, filmmaking. So, so what, you know, what is Rob Marshall? Well, he's good at musicals. And what is Into the Woods is a Stephen Sondheim musical. So what I've heard from people who've seen the movie and they have screened it is that it is a very good Stephen Sondheim musical. Now, what that tells me is that it may be so expensive that Disney will never make its money back. Because mm-hmm. Sweeney Todd, while it did okay, it, it didn't make a lot of money. But it'll probably own the, the Christmas weekend. I mean, it just seems like catnip for people. Not if it's too, you know, arty, you know? I mean, it, it mm-hmm. has all those great sort of fairy tale characters characters in it and it has Meryl Streep and I'm very fond of the musical although there are Sondheim people who don't like Into the Woods and I love it but but it's still Sondheim I mean Sondheim is not Oklahoma you know I just feel like people are you know it's like Selma will probably be a respect a well-respected movie in best case scenario but as as a Christmas Day weekend release it just seems like that that's the sort of movie people are going to go out for, even if it's awful. You know, it's, it's still just... big cities, though. It's still it's still you know, um, it's a sung thing. You know, I mean, I mean, I, do people want to see Meryl Streep and Johnny Depp? No, you know, in a, you know, singing their hearts out in this sort of you know fairy tale universe. Well, it, it sounds more. It, it will be very dependent on critics too. Yeah, but, that's but, true. But it's also, but it's art direction and it's costumes and it's it, yeah. it's very academy friendly. That what I'm trying to say is, of all the films that are still coming up, I do. I actually am holding out hope for Into the Woods. I think it could be good. Yeah. 
Well, I'm basically not holding out hope for anything anymore because I've seen so many movies that I love this year that I'm kind of just good. But I'm happy to see these things. And, you know, if that movie has something that's visually compelling about it, you know, we know what the soundtrack will be like. So you can check that one off. That'll be but, satisfying. And, but the, yeah, yeah but, the, but the supporting actor question, I, I can't answer that question until yeah. I see it. Now, yeah. Tilda Swinton, Snowpiercer. The question there is very interesting because that's, that's a movie that a lot of people really liked a lot and she's very good in it she's she creates this character out of it that was written for a guy that's a that's by the way that is a trend interstellar jessica chastain told me last night I, I reminded me last night that the part she played was written for a guy and she said one of the things she wants to do is go out and find more scripts and 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 that haven't been made and say hey i'll do this male role right <laughs> and and so for grace at, at a certain point he was saying god i really feel like i'm playing the girl you know, Guess it's, what? A, it's, it's a he very, was playing the girl. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's a, something very contemporary about all that. You know, I mean, you look at sort of the this rise of like trans characters, for example. You know, with the Orders New Black or Transparent. You know, things like that. And it, it's sort of it's interesting. I think like the way that we're talking about gender in our society is starting to evolve, and so the way that we're talk, we're looking at these roles is also getting a little bit more flexible. And the, the Tilda Swinton role, you know, the, there's nothing distinctly, let's say, feminine about that performance. You know, and she's always been able to kind of play with those boundaries. But I think what's interesting about it is that people just see that it's a great performance. So, you know, she, that should be singled out for whatever category it belongs in. And uh, when I was at uh, the AFI opening night last night, I saw uh, somebody from Radius who said that, you know, they released uh, Snowpiercer and that they would be taking Tilda to the Governor's Ball over the weekend. So... You know, that reminded no, she's me working of it. So the Governor's Ball is another step along. We talked about the Britannias. The, the Governor's Ball is another big step along the way. And one of the reasons why, you, you know, I'm like up to my ears in interviews right now is because all the people who have all these movies to promote are all showing up at the same time. The, very much the Oscar uh, race will be uh, evident in full force at the Governor's Awards as everybody comes. And they're honoring Harry Belafonte and the great, French screenwriter Jean-Claude Carrière and the great, incredible Japanese animator Hayao Miyazaki, who may or may not be retiring, and um, the great John Ford actress Maureen O'Hara, uh, who's one of my favorites. So this will be, a, it's a great night. It's not televised. Everybody uh, from the industry is there. All the Oscar people like me covering the, the awards race are there, and a lot of people will be there, to, to, and, and I will be looking forward to saying hi to Tilda. Right. Well, I'll be at the Inherent Vice party because that just sounds more fun. And also, I didn't get invited, so <laughs> <laughs> you got to divide and conquer, I guess. Should we uh, talk about our picks for the week? Sure. I am going to vote for a movie that surprised me that it was so good. Um, it's called The Better Angels. And it's a story about young Mr. Lincoln, um, uh, Abraham Lincoln, living in the country, uh, living in a very tough, hard-scrabble, poverty-stricken rural farm existence. His first mother, uh, Britt Marling, uh, then, you know, you learn that along the way there, there are things that happen and, and tough, tough uh, times. And he is... Um, and Jason Clark is very good in it as his father. Uh, it's shot in black and white, and... 
the filmmaker is basically a protege of uh, Terrence Malick, and he shoots the film in the same way that you would remember from Tree of Life, you know, just wandering around outside, sort of catching moments, catching uh, very bits, little bits of performances, not, you know, there's an over-narration, there's not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of talking, and it reminds you of what it must have been like to live in the country. It reminds me of my youth when I lived in the country in upstate New York where you were children and you, you ran around and did things without any adult supervision of any kind and you just heard the wind and you looked at the birds and you heard the, the crickets and, and you looked for snakes and, you know, all the things that children used to do uh, when there was nothing else. And I have to, you know, just commend them for this film. I loved him. It's interesting, and they never mention uh, Abraham Lincoln's name in, in the movie. I mean, this is sort of a, a context sort of hovering right outside the frame. And the whole question is whether he's ever ac- actually going to be given, as everybody perceives how bright he is and how smart he is, how special he is, and there's a real question of whether he'll even get an education, and that's sort of the, the through line of the movie is leading to that moment where he maybe gets to go to school. Right. Well, it's certainly something that Malik, a devotee, should check out. I mean, I, I heard that Malik was in the edit room, so his fingerprints are all over this movie. Totally. No, it feels that way. You know, it, it's, it's, def- it's definitely, it's, it's for a certain kind of sensibility. The, the movie that I, that I want to uh, single out is, is one that I think will surprise people because uh, it seems like it's one kind of movie, and I think it's, it's much broader than one might expect in the sense that it, it looks like purely an activist documentary, and I think while it is that, it's one that works on, as almost like a thrilling, suspenseful uh, piece of filmmaking outside of any particular category, and that's Virunga. Um, it's a it's a documentary uh, from a first time director, Orlando Van Eisenstein, and um, it's uh, coming out on Netflix actually uh, today, and also opening in New York and L.A. Um, I saw it back at the Tribeca Film Festival, and I was really impressed by how well it it deals with this situation. Um, in the Congo, where there's this UNESCO World uh, Heritage Site, a national park called Virunga, uh, where the last mountain gorillas live, and they're constantly dealing with poachers, and the government, uh, a couple years ago, there there was an oil reserve discovered under the park, so obviously everybody's trying to get at that oil, and, and the way that the, the filmmaker kind of uh, deals with all the different pieces of the, this equation is, is, is almost like this uh, big ensemble piece, you know, I could have seen it as like an HBO series or something like there's there's one guy who's sort of like committed to protecting these gorillas and then there's uh, sort of an activist who's running a group that helps the park and then there's a journalist kind of running around talking to different corrupt government officials with hidden cameras and then there are the, the, these sort of uh, park rangers who are constantly trying to, to keep the poachers out. And there, there are actual action sequences where we see them bust the poachers or deal with, you know, tanks from the government coming in to kind of, you know, contain different areas. And you really feel like you're swept up in this drama, uh, irrespective of, you know, what it's trying to tell you. But it really is trying to tell you something, which is, which is that, you know, this is a, a place of tremendous, you know, value to both the, the, the climate, but also from a historical perspective, you know, it's it, it it harbors these important animals, and uh, the, you you kind of feel like the the message and the filmmaking are kind of wrapped together in this really slick package. And I was just really impressed by it, so I, I highly recommend people check it out. The nice thing about that is that you could, if you're in New York and like, go buy a ticket to go see it. But also, you know, as you're listening to this podcast, you could just pull up Netflix and uh, press play. So. 
that's the kind of world we live in now. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think we covered a lot of ground today. We did, and yet there's so much more to come. I'm in AFI Fest through the weekend. You'll be around, and uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. So um, until then, um, I'm going to go get some sunshine. I don't know about you. Go for it, Eric. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.